The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the June 6th meeting of the Ann Arbor City Council. If you're able, please rise and join us for a moment of silence, followed by the Pledge of Allegiance.
pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Would our clerk please call the roll of counsel? Councilmember Hayner? Here. Councilmember Dish? Absent. Councilmember Griswold? Here. Councilmember Song? Here. Councilmember Grand? Here. Councilmember Radina? Absent. Mayor Taylor? Here. Councilmember Iyer? Here. Councilmember Nelson? Here. Councilmember Briggs? Here. Councilmember Ramlawi? Present. We have a quorum. Thank you. May I have a motion, please, to approve the agenda by Councilmember Ramlawi, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion of the agenda. All in favor? Opposed? The agenda is approved. Do we have communications today from our city administrator? No, sir. Thank you. We now have our regular monthly update from the Independent P Community Police Oversight Commission Chair, Dr. Lisa Jackson. Dr. Jackson, you have the con. Good evening, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa Jackson, and I'm the chair of Ann Arbor's Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. I want to start off this evening by acknowledging two occasions to celebrate in this month of June, the first being that June is LGBTQ Pride Month, and the second is that Juneteenth is coming up on June 19th. It goes without saying that both LGBTQ and African-American communities have specific concerns when it comes to policing that must be addressed beyond the basic work we have to do to make police better for all members of our community. With that said, it's important to consider diverse perspectives beyond the unique challenges that we face. By listening to more voices, we're better able to overcome our blind spots and create a world that's more tolerant, more accommodating, and most importantly, more accessible to all of its inhabitants. Moving on, on behalf of our commission, I'd like to express a tremendous amount of excitement for the results of work that has been going on in the background for a very long time. After much back and forth with the Ann Arbor Police Department and with the help of the city administrator's office, we are looking forward to Ann Arbor traffic stop data soon being made available, not just to our commission, but to the general public on a regular basis and on a permanent basis. Thus, we can join the likes of um, data sets that exist at Stanford, for example. And in addition to being extremely valuable as a resource for our own work, this represents a large step forward towards a more transparent Ann Arbor Police Department. And so I'd like to thank both Chief Cox and especially City Administrator Dahoney for their collaboration. ICPOC held its most recent public forum two weeks ago on May 25th. The date was coincidental, but that day marked two years since George Floyd was murdered in 2020. Like most of our meetings, many of the issues we considered were big. We talked about things like police shootings, larger policy discussions, and how we enact cultural changes that will positively change policing. These conversations are important, especially so in light of the Uvalde shooting in which 19 people were killed. That tragedy and the way it was handled by police in that case really show how policy matters and what's at stake. Literally, it is people's lives. 
One of the reasons why our public forums are important is because the floor is open and we spend almost all of the time listening to people's opinions on what can be changed and on what can be improved. For example, a young man came up and before he even said what had happened to him and what he wanted to talk about, he apologized for his problem not being at the scale of the other things we've been discussing. But as he began to speak, it was clear that what he had to say was exactly the reason why oversight exists. Oversight isn't just the big things. It's everything from the kinds of things we see on TV all the way down to the way police interact with you. So even though it can feel like your problem isn't as big of a deal as the things we see in the news, your experiences are valid and we want to hear about them. Unlike most commissions, ICPOC structures its meetings as public forums specifically so that we can have a dialogue with the community, no matter what it is you have to talk about. We want to hear your voice because at the end of the day, policing isn't just when people get shot. So we want to make sure we're working on improving the police beyond their crisis response capabilities. You can, of course, come out and speak at our public forums, but you can also get in contact with us online through social media. We are A2IPOC on Twitter. We're on Facebook at Ann Arbor Oversight. And of course, you can always email me at ljacksonicpoc at gmail.com. Our commission was formed to amplify the voices of the community. We want everyone in the community to feel important enough to use it. Please join us at our next public forum, which will be Tuesday, June 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Ann Arbor Farmers Market. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Jackson. We now have an introduction with respect to National Gun Violence Awareness Day, if you please. As we all know, all know the issue of gun violence uh, and, uh, and gun safety regulation uh, has been front and center in the national conversation uh, of late for, uh, for, her, for uh, a variety of horrific uh, and ongoing set of horrific reasons. Uh, the uh, gun violence is, of course, a, uh, a national pathology. Uh, and the, uh, the inability of our political system uh, with its, uh, its ingrained counter-majoritarian designs to, uh, successfully, uh, to successfully regulate uh, firearms and to promote uh, gun, uh, gun safety is, uh, is one of our ongoing and most, uh, most persistent challenges. Uh, this, of course, occurs at the national level and at the, uh, the state level and as a consequence at the state level, uh, much on the local level. Uh, we in the city of Ann Arbor do all that we can uh, in order to promote uh, gun safety, to reduce gun violence, of course, uh, through our, our police department, our judicial system, uh, and our social services that we provide and that we cooperate with others in our community uh, to provide. Uh, we, at the, as a municipal organization, are looking at further ways that we can take action in this regard, with particularity, uh, exploring uh, buyback programs and further exploring uh, the possibility of an ordinance uh, which would help uh, our law enforcement support the judiciary when they ha issue red flag orders. Uh, these are uh, ongoing things that we are striving to do, that we are uh, looking to see whether we are uh, able to do. 
Um, but in the meantime, of course, what we all can do is we can advocate uh, for, uh, for gun safety, for cessation of gun violence. And this is something that is, uh, is well known, of course, by, uh, by so many in our community. And so it is my great pleasure to issue this proclamation today. National Gun Violence Awareness Day. Whereas every day more than 110 Americans are killed by gun violence, 200 more shot and wounded, nearly 16,000 gun homicides annually. Whereas Americans are 26 more times likely to die by gun homicide than in other high-income countries. Whereas cities across the nation, including in Ann Arbor, are working to end the senseless violence with evidence-based solutions. And whereas protecting public safety in these communities is our highest priority. Whereas uh, local government law enforcement know that their communities best and whereas they are the most familiar with local criminal activity and best positioned to understand how to keep their, security, their citizens and residents and community members safe. Whereas gun violence prevention is more important than ever as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to exacerbate gun violence after more than two years of increased gun sales, calls to suicide and domestic violence hotlines, and an increase in city gun violence. Whereas in January 2013, Heidi Pendleton was tragically shot and killed at age 15. And to recognize the 25th birthday of Heidi Pendleton, people across the United States will recognize Gun Violence Awareness Day and wear orange in tribute to her and other victims of gun violence. Whereas the idea was inspired by a group of Heidi's friends who asked classmates to commemorate her life by wearing orange, as do hunters, for safety, a color symbolizing the value of human life. Whereas anyone can join this campaign by pledging to wear orange on Gun Awareness Day, Gun Violence Awareness Day, and help raise awareness of gun violence. And whereas we here today renew our commitment to reduce gun violence and pledge to do all we can to keep firearms out of the wrong hands and to encourage responsible gun ownership to help keep our children safe. Now, therefore, I, Christopher Taylor, Mayor of Ann Arbor, Michigan, do join Moms Demand Action in declaring Friday, June 3rd, 2022, to be Gun Violence Awareness Day and encourage all citizens and residents and community members to support local communities' efforts to prevent the tragic effects of gun violence and to honor and value human lives. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will be brief. Uh, Mayor Taylor, very succinctly and wonderfully, um, made comments that I may reiterate here and reading this amazing proclamation. Um, but uh, good evening. Thank you for welcoming Moms Demand Action here. My name is Maria Bailey. I'm an Ann Arbor resident of Ward 2 and a volunteer lead with the local group of Washtenaw County Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. On behalf of our local leads team and volunteers and supporters, as well as our Michigan chapter, we thank you, Mayor Taylor, and the council members of Ann Arbor for supporting the proclamation, making June 3rd, 2022, Gun Violence Awareness Day in our city. This past Wear Orange Day and weekend were important as we honored and remembered victims and survivors of gun violence. As noted in the proclamation, over 110 gun deaths occur each day in this country, as well as over 200 more who are injured by guns. In the wake of mass shootings that grab headlines across the country, it can be difficult to remember that this is a daily occurrence in our country. And the ripple effect of gun violence is long reaching and complex. 
While it's important to raise public awareness about the daily toll of gun violence in our communities and across the country, we do so only so that we can then take action together. We ask you, our local representatives, to commit to taking real actionable steps to make our neighborhoods safer for all res residents of all ages, races, ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds of all political leanings, be they gun owners or not. We are really lucky to live in a city where people are engaged and concerned about our communities and our neighbors. Moms of Washtenaw County are committed to working with local organizations who already do the work of alleviating the systemic issues that contribute to gun violence and aid in this epidemic that is rampant throughout Michigan as well as this country. And tonight, we just reiterate our ask that you join us in this effort. So thank you once again for wearing orange this past weekend, for remembering the gun violence victims and survivors, and for standing with us to continue in the fight to end gun violence. Thank you. Is this both ours? What? Alas, not. Okay. <laughs> And now, uh, a uh, proclamation with respect to LGBTQ Pride Month. Welcome. Uh, so uh, as, uh, as folks in Ann Arbor and, and throughout land, the land know, uh, June is Pride Month. Uh, it is uh, a day, uh, a month, in which uh, we certainly here in, in Ann Arbor and indeed throughout the country uh, celebrate the mem uh, our LGBTQ community members. Uh, the uh, LGBTQ, LGBTQ members of the Ann Arbor community uh, are, are, are uh, some of, they make us indeed what we are. And I like to, one likes to say that Ann Arbor is a welcoming community, but to talk about Ann Arbor as a welcoming community uh, creates a certain amount of distance between peoples. Um, and so I'm gonna, I, I don't like to frame it like that. What I do like to say is that uh, we are a plural, value pluralism. We value all members of our community, all groups within our community, all uh, unique and beautiful identities within our community. Uh, and uh, Ann Arbor's LGBTQ members are front and center in all of that. And today, uh, as we declare a, a declaration of June as Pride Month, uh, we do so uh, with, uh, with you know, understanding the, the duality of that declaration. The declaration, of course, uh, speaks and understands that uh, LGBTQ members of our community, both here uh, and, of course, throughout the, the country and world, have suffered uh, invidious discrimination and irrational hate uh, since time immemorial, uh, and that, that, on, that it continues today. Uh, but Pride Month also, of course, uh, is a tremendous celebration. Uh, it is an exaltation of LGBTQ lives and love uh, and people and community members, and it is in that spirit uh, and on that uh, aspect of the month that, that we celebrate and emphasize. And so it is my great pleasure to read a proclamation uh, with respect to June 22, Ann Arbor LGBTQ Pride Month, if I may. Whereas each June, LGBTQ people and their friends and family recognize the journey toward liberation and those who have fought for equality, including the queer and transgender people of color who took to the streets in New York City at the Stonewall Inn and in countries, in, pardon me, in cities throughout the country. And whereas the city of Ann Arbor holds a historic place in the history of the LGBTQ movement for equality. For 50 years ago, the city issued, was first to issue a Pride Week proclamation and was among the first cities in the nation to pass an ordinance to protect residents from discrimination based on sexual orientation, later to add gender identity protection. And that same year, 50 years ago, two city council members, Nancy Weschler and Jerry DeGrick, were among the first elected officials nationwide to come out as gay. And Kathy Kozinchenko was the first gay or lesbian person to successfully run for political office in the United States. 
And whereas the city of Ann Arbor continues to lead within the state of Michigan in working to advance equality and safety for LGBTQ people, including through robust non-discrimination protections and a ban on the discredited practice of conversion therapy. And whereas this year, both in Michigan and around the country, state legislators have introduced and passed a record number of bills attacking LGBTQ people, particularly transgender youth and their families. And whereas the COVID pandemic and the resulting economic instability has disproportionately been felt by LGBTQ people, particularly Black and Latinx LGBTQ community members. Now, therefore, I, Christopher Taylor, do hereby proclaim June 22 as Pride Month and affirm our city and community's commitment to working against discrimination and violence against LGBTQ people and ensuring that all LGBTQ community members in the city of Ann Arbor are celebrated and have dignity, equality, and justice. Thank you very much. Ms. Hi everyone, my name is Naomi Goldberg and I serve as the LGBTQ liaison to the mayor's office and to all of you on council and I just want to thank you for continuing this amazing history that we have here in Ann Arbor around LGBTQ equality. As Mayor Taylor said, we have historic city council members um, who really have created Ann Arbor um, and led the way and you all have taken incredible action um, through different ordinances to make sure that everyone in the community is protected and feels welcome. And I appreciate how much um, those things mean to the community, especially right now this year. I feel like pride is both this celebration, but also this resistance. And that's how it started. And yet again, we find ourselves in that exact moment. So I just want to appreciate everyone and what you do every day to make sure that our communities are the strongest that they can be. And thank you, Mayor Taylor. It's my delight. Happy pride. Thank you. <laughs> We now come to public comment reserve time. Public comment reserve time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment reserve time, one needs to have signed up in advance by contacting our city clerk. Speakers have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Uh, our clerk or the time clock will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Our first speaker today is Jim Mogensen. Been a while. Um, I'm here to talk about CA29, $165,000 to support the staff working on housing and human services in this coordination with the county. If you take my name and you put it in a Google search engine, and then you type in red ribbon chart, there it will come up as a link to an old archived Ann Arbor Chronicle article. I used to come to try to demonstrate perspective. Last month, you passed a budget, and you included a new city attorney for $165,000. Not against that. I'm just trying to show the perspective. There used to be a community development department in the city of Ann Arbor. Then about 20 years ago, everybody started restructuring and they cut the staff by 20%. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, things started disappearing, changing, merging. There was a point in which I had to make a joke about not firing the police department, you know, because you merged them into safety services, human resources and human, right? I mean, it was just ridiculous. 
right? And my late friend Jim Toy called me. I worked with him on church issues. I did economic justice. He did LGBTQA stuff. <clears throat> he said, Jim, who do we call? And I had to check. And they said, human resources. No one ever thought to actually make a complaint to human resources. It never occurred to them. It doesn't make any sense. It's probably changed by now. But it's a huge, this was a huge problem. So in 2009, I kept on doing this to say. And now it used to be a million dollars was one foot. And so it would fit on my little thing. And then the entire operating budget was 80 feet. Now, the amount that's in human resources, you know, the human services, hasn't changed materially. But the actual operating budget has. So if I did that tonight, I didn't want to do it because of the possibility of the rain, I would have had to have a 120-foot ribbon. I went out the door and around the corner. And all right. I think we need to keep this in mind. I also want to put in mind about what the solution is. Let's have the religious community do it, or let's have the nonprofits figure it out, or let's have, right, and this is always the thing that comes up. I've been working for 20 years with religion. We created Religious Action for Affordable Housing, raising money to support some of the housing people in, in, in that, right? And I'm retiring next week from the board. It's about time, right? But what I'm saying to you is it's not going to work. The information that you got from the coverage of the county meeting last week should tell you something. We're going to lose people. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Mojan Savabiasafani. Hello, Ann Arbor. I never heard Chris Taylor's voice shiver as much as it did tonight. Did you? I think his voice was shivering and shaking because he knew he was lying. He says, and he wants us to believe, that he is against massive gun violence. However, his behavior, his actions throughout the past many years shows that he is actually in favor of it and he will protect those who perpetuate gun violence on massive scale. That would be the state of Israel, the apartheid state of Israel, which every single international body that has examined their actions has said they are an apartheid state. Mayor Taylor, do you think the mother who cries over his dead child's body that is in a pool of blood in the United States is feeling differently than the woman who cries over the dead body of his, her child in Gaza? Do you think they have different feelings? Do you think the life of the child in Texas, in New York, is more worthy than the child that is lying dead every day with your tax dollars in Gaza, in Hebron? Do you think all children should be valued the same or some children are more valuable to you than others? Your behavior shows that you prefer some children over others because you've put your every effort to silence any voice, and that is thousands of people who have petitioned you, have come here and spoken, who have said, at least pass a resolution that says, no more guns to Israel. Israel is one big fat user of gun violence against masses of children. It is every day that they kill children in Gaza. It is every day that children are in their pool of blood and their mothers sit and cry. It is every day that that happens, and you help that go on. 
because you stand firmly against anything that anybody says to stop Israel and its massacre of Palestinian people. You've lied about a lot of things, and this is one that is so close to my heart because I've lived with children who have died, and in their blood, their parents have cried for hours because I've seen that. And you want us to believe that you care for gun violence and you want it to stop? Your voice was not convincing, Mr. Taylor. It was telling us, and we heard it, that you do not give a flying rat's ass about gun violence. And that is a sad thing. Because you're right, racism is systemic. The American system is racist. We ask Thank you. that you pass the resolution that we are against military aid Thank to Israel. You. Our next speaker is Blaine Coleman. Mayor Taylor pretends tonight to be against gun violence. He made a big pretense of being against gun violence, but he has thrown his weight in the direction of more guns to Israel, heavily. He has thrown his weight against the simplest human rights resolution in Ann Arbor City Council that just says we are against military aid to Israel. A simple human rights resolution like that that would mean the world to the Palestinian people, the mayor has thrown his weight against it. We even have a city council sitting here, Council Member Iyer, who took campaign contributions, campaign contributions from old friends of the Israel Defense Forces. And she's nodding her head. The Israel Defense Forces has massacred thousands of Palestinians. And I, you're nodding your head like that's a good thing? Now you're shaking your head. Which is it, nodding or shaking? When Mayor Taylor goes all out for the occupied Ukrainian people, and he throws all his weight against the occupied Palestinian people, He's telling you something, and I hope you hear him. In my opinion, he's telling you that he is a racist dog of a mayor, a racist damn dog of a mayor, who doesn't deserve to remain mayor. On election day, the voters need to throw him out. You cannot tolerate a racist goddamn dog as your mayor, a man who devotes so much effort throwing his weight against simple Palestinian human rights resolutions. You can't afford to have that kind of racist dog as your mayor. And at the same time, boy is he sentimental in public about white Ukrainians who are occupied. This man is death on the Palestinian people. Mayor Christopher Taylor, in my opinion, just means more death to the Palestinian people. And now finally he's making eye contact after staring down at his, at his lap for so long. But I don't expect a racist goddamn dog to change. I expect you to be racist for the whole rest of your life. And I hope you live a long, long life outside of this city council outside of the mayor's office, 
outside of any place where you can hurt Palestinians. Goddamn racist dog. Thank you. Our next speaker is Eric Lipson. Let's see, how do we file, follow that act? I'm here. <clears throat> Ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to address you this evening. My name is Eric Lipson. I am um, resident of the Fourth Ward since 1970. And uh, I'm here tonight to talk about dioxane and to plead with this council to take some action on this toxic plume, which we all know is a slow motion disaster, which is polluting our precious water table. One of the best water tables in Michigan has been destroyed by the Gelman Scientific Plume. And unfortunately, over the past, what, 20, 30 years, that our government on every level has failed us. Starting with the change from, by the Governor Engler's administration from a polluter pay to a remediation standard. So now polluters get to walk free unless they're sued. So the last action that this council took was over a year ago. There's been no action. You guys are saying, oh yeah, we're all on this. What have you done? Have you taken a stand? Have you had a meeting together? And I'm not talking about individual briefings or briefings of two or three to evade the Open Meetings Act. That's not, that is not only an evasion of the Open Meetings Act, it doesn't help the process. There you go. I'm sorry, I did not pay her. Um, thank you. Anyway, the answer to this right now, the short-term answer, is that we need EPA intervention, and, and we need the council, not the lawyers, to take charge. Right now, I, the reason I'm here is I believe one of the council items on the consent agenda is for more legal services to deal with this. Ma'am, please be quiet. One so, speaker at a time. So, the EPA is the only answer at this point. Eagle has proven itself to be completely inept. They have done almost nothing. As you know, you rejected the fourth consent judgment that was proposed by the lawyers. In fact, every one of the interveners rejected that. And nonetheless, the court and the lawyers have taken over. Have you guys supervised the lawyers on this? Have you had a meeting? Have you, have you considered it? Have you put it on the agenda? No. So please. I beg you, and the people of Ann Arbor beg you, because now, as we know, I, by the way, I'm a member of the Coalition for Action on Remediation of Dioxane. I attend their meetings. I'm not speaking on behalf of them, though. But as we know now, dioxane has been found in the Allen Creek drain. That's draining right into the Huron River, guys. So we know now that this, the water source for people is being contaminated. So please do something. Thank, Thank you. you. Are there communications today from council? Councilmember Hayner. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Um, just 
couple quick announcements and things coming up and a few other comments. So I want to thank everybody for attending the African-American Festival this weekend. If you did, it was a good time. It was nice to see old friends and meet some new people. And it looked like it was going pretty well down there. Um, so it's always exciting to have some, some street festivals happening. Uh, Wednesday, June 8th, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Farmer's Market is a um, sort of open house and presentation and comment session for MDOT to review the M14 Barton interchange. And so I urge folks who use the highway loop around our city, especially North Siders, Ward 1 residents, to go down there and sub if you have an opportunity to submit uh, comments. If not, you're welcome to send them to me and I'll pass them all along. Um, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. is the... Uh, quarterly card meeting, the Dioxin uh, Watchdog Group meeting, and they are always full of information. Uh, they're usually at 6 p.m., but this one's a quarterly with updates from DEQ. EPA's been at those meetings and so on, so I encourage people to um, tune into those card meetings. Those can be found. Um, the pros plan input ends tomorrow at midnight, and that can be found by Googling pros plan Ann Arbor, and uh, there's a, a survey you can take on there, and it has plenty of open space for comments. Um, you know, we had some speakers here earlier who, who really pointed out what is the kind of the elephant in the world, uh, that every day is gun violence day for most people in the world. The United States is the world's largest arms dealer. Over 40% of all the small arms worldwide come from the United States. We sent 10,000 uh, pieces of small arms and 50 million rounds of ammunition to Ukraine in the last couple months alone. We spend $3.8 billion in funding to the state of Israel, um, most of which is returned through various buyback programs to buy small arms and other arms and large uh, missiles and so on from the United States. Uh, the Israeli Defense Force's primary weapon until about a year ago was the M4, which is the military nomenclature for the AR, or the Armalite type, the AR-15. Until we come to grips with our national obsession with providing the rest of the world with firearms, nothing's going to be done locally. And I, I know it's, tra it's a tragic, as tragic as these mass shootings are, they represent a tiny percent of the gun violence in our nation and our world. Um, I'm glad that they serve to open people's eyes to the problems that we have with firearms. Um, they... Council member? It's... It, we need to have national solutions to this. We need to encourage national solutions to this. It'll never change without that. Further communication from Council. Councilmember Griswold. Did you call me? Yeah. I did. Oh, okay. I, I didn't hear. Okay. Uh, first, I want to thank staff. We have uh, new instructions for our sign ordinance, which includes political signs. It's really. Uh, a great piece of instruction. It's got diagrams on it, and I'm really looking forward to similar graphics for Chapter 40, which is our vegetation ordinance that has been under review for over a year. But, Mr. Hainer, we are going to get that for your review in the next few days. Uh, and um, one of the important things about Chapter 40's revision is that it's going to be consistent with A20 and our Vision Zero goals. Uh, secondly, I would like to once again respectfully request a closed session for the following three items and possibly other issues that come up. Number one, Gelman. Our lawyers are on autopilot. Our lawyers are advocating for a discharge into the first sister lake, which is what the community became violently opposed to 
hundreds of people showed up throughout the <clears throat> the plume area um, and we voted down the consent judgment but for some reason we're arguing for this discharge again uh, secondly the april 8th cease and desist letter uh, I feel like I've been under a gag order. I think 60 days is long enough. I'd like to request that we have a closed session. And as I've said many times, not making a decision is a decision to do nothing. And that is not acceptable without a vote of the council. And lastly, we've had a data breach and we need legal advice on how to handle that and how to recover. And lastly, I'd just like to thank my constituents who have come forward and offered assistance with the U of M Workforce Housing Resolution. Thank you. Further communication from Council? Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, thanks. Um, one, I just wanted to um, remind folks that this is A2-0 um, week, and so you can find lots of events that um, on OSI's Office of Sustainability and Innovation's website um, that you can attend. And then I also wanted to make a correction to the best of my knowledge, the city is not advocating for discharge into First Sister Lakes, which is in the Fifth Ward. Um, we are asking for that permit to be reviewed, um, but I wanted to correct the record on that. Further communication from Council. Councilmember Song. I think we have a public comment pointing to uh, the situation with our county funding to our social service agencies. Uh, I worked closely with county commissioners and county staff in trying to come to a resolution last week, and I was really heartened to see that the county board, uh, the county board of commissioners, voted to extend um, funding for another six months. The challenges to our community and to the county to understand, you know, how essential our rapid rehousing um, services are. We, our housing commissioner, just published a report stating how with housing supportive services and housing helps our residents beat the odds of eviction. Um, and I'd like to see that success continue. I'm just really heartened after a conversation with Representative Felicia Brabeck and asking her to help intervene and find a better path forward so that we don't come to the situation every six months when it comes to funding our social service agencies. Um, I also want to, uh, so I'd like to thank Commissioners Justin Hodge, Sue Schink, uh, Andy Labar in finding a path forward, but that path is only six months long. I'd like to see a better resolution in the next several months. Um, our agency's fiscal years at, end June 30th. And getting notice of funding with only a couple weeks to spare leaves agencies in a really difficult position to fundraise privately. Um, so I would, I would encourage federal, federal, fellow council members to take some time and meet with uh, our housing agency directors. They were very, very busy last week in making sure that folks in our community were well taken care of. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one more thing. Is that okay? You've got five seconds. Okay, five seconds. Traffic enforcement resolution. Thank you so much for working with um, Mr. Dohoney, Lisa Jackson. Instead of a resolution, we've come to an agreement to understand that we can work on this internally so that this data can be available to ICPOC. Thank you. Councilor Ramai. Thank you. Um, I also would like to stress the importance for us to meet as a board to discuss Gelman. Um, as a board, I don't think we've discussed it 
at all. And uh, there are communications coming in about the dioxin that's uh, being found in the Allen Creek. It's being discharged. Um, and I think we need to get on, uh, on the same page and understand what this means and what can be done. Um, so I echo the sentiments of my colleague on the other end there that um, it would be good to meet and discuss that matter. Also, there's been a lot of emails sent to us um, with great alarm about the cuts to, to funding for social services. Um, I'd like to remind the public and perhaps the board here that during the budget process, I did bring several amendments to increase funding to the county um, to the tune of about $700,000. Those among amendments did not get any support uh, or the support in order to be approved. So when I see those emails and, and what happened with the funding on those services, um, all I can say is I tried. I tried to increase the funding and I unfortunately couldn't get the support needed to do that with it. Thank you. Further communication from council. Councilor Grand. Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank Councilor Song for her um, really persistent advocacy in trying to help our social service agencies. There, you know, when when you lose half your funding um, for for what was coordinated funding, and now is the New Human Services Partnership, um, we knew that that we wouldn't be able to fund as many, but. But what happened with our safety net um, was was still unexpected, and there was a lot of great work done um, by Councilmember Song, by those on the county board. Um, I don't think I think it showed that the answer is not necessarily just putting more money into this effort, but really looking closely at um, at our own local safety net, those organizations that are providing those critical services. Uh, to to the Housing Commission to help people um, prevent eviction and, and stay housed. So I'm not sure that putting money into um, the partnership would would have resulted in in what we're hoping to see, which is really trying to get those agencies that are supporting the work of our of our Housing Commission and, and providing a safety net here in Ann Arbor funded. So I'm um, committed to to continuing to do outreach to those organizations who have who provided funding for those critical services and and hope that we can find a way forward um, also just reminding everyone that um, this week is the last week of school so thank you to all of our educators in the community and also please be aware that there will be um, younger people who will not be in school during the day um, you know hopefully moving safely throughout our system um, as pedestrians and cyclists and in other ways so um, please be aware of those smaller people in our community. Thanks so much. Any communication from council? I'd like to offer the following nominations for your consideration to the Energy Commission, Alex Zettelman, Kendall Kernan, to Elizabeth Dean Fund, Richard Wieland. And further to, to the Energy Commission, Knox Cameron and Moshka Magani, to the Main Street Business Improvement Zone, Roger Ahn. We have a motion, please, to approve the consent agenda. Move by. 
Councillor Griswold, seconded by Councillor Grand. Discussion of the consent agenda. Councillor Iyer. Yes, I would like to remove, which one is it? <laughs> the Homelands, there it is, CA25. Further discussion? Councillor uh, Ramalawi. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to pull CA27. Uh, Councillor Briggs. Um, I am, would prefer not to pull CA20, but I believe there's a staff introduction that probably answers that question, so I don't... I guess if you have a question with first staff, Mr. Dahoney. Was it CA20? Yes. Mr. Hutchinson is available. Mr. Hutchinson is joining us on Zoom. Thank you. Sorry for the delay there. Um, this is Nick Hutchinson, city engineer. Um, we had a question come in regarding CA20. Um, uh, a, a resident raised a question about uh, wondering if, as part of this project, any oak trees were gonna be removed or trimmed for the sidewalk installation. And if so, what steps were going to be taken to prevent the spread of oak wilt? Um, and our response to that is that uh, the trees for this project have already been removed in advance of the sidewalk construction by our public works staff. Um, for any trees actually removed, there's no concern regarding oak wilt. Um, if forestry staff had to prune any oak trees, um, then they would have applied sealant to each pruning cut to prevent oak wilt from establishing. Um, and the city has an oak wilt qualified arborist on staff that assists with work on oak trees and uh, with oak wilt, oak wilt concerns. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Council. Wonderful. Thank you. Councilor Griswold. I'd like to pull CA 28 and I'm wondering if we can turn up the volume. It's difficult to hear. All right. Thank you. Ms. Beaudry. Further discussion on the consent agenda. All in favor of the consent agenda, with the exception of CA 25, 27, 28, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Consent agenda is approved, with the exception of CA 25, 27, 28, with nine council members present. All vote in the affirmative, thus satisfying the eight vote requirement. With respect to CA 3, CA 8, CA 17, That is all. CA 25 resolution to approve a contract with Homeland Builders of Michigan LLC, DBA Homeland Solar, for the purchase and installation of solar systems at nine city sites, energy storage and battery systems at two city sites, and the installation of electric vehicle charging infrastructure at five city sites. In the amount of $3,050,000, moved by Council Member Iyer, seconded by Council Member Lowe. Discussion, please, of CA 25, Council Member Iyer. I think we have a staff introduction. I'm sorry, is there a staff introduction? Mr. Mr. Mayor, we have uh, Dr. Stoltz available for CA25. Thank you, Dr. Stoltz. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me here and happy 820 week. So a uh, few questions were asked and I'll punch through those and please let me know if you have any follow-ups. How many licensed electricians does Homeland Solar have? 
Homeland has four licensed electricians on staff, and when necessary, they also use uh, support from Wakeman, Haley, and Harper if they need additional capacity. Second question, how many licensed electricians does Neff Mechanical have? Uh, Tim Neff of Neff Mechanical's license is actually with Homeland, and he's the staff's master electrician at Homeland's forum. Your question, who else bid for this project? Um, and a request for the bid uh, tap sheet, which is now in the packet. We had 11 firms bid on the work, 93 Energy, Chart House, Elevate, Enerlogics, Evergy, GRNE, Homeland, Power Home Solar, Slifco, Sunvest, and Utopian. Uh, question for Homeland's actual proposal, and that is now attached. And I do want to apologize for not including it. For those uh, who may not be familiar with this process or not had a chance to review the resolution, we actually put this up to bed about a year and a half ago. And so the original designs that came in with the proposals have changed uh, because we've worked with the uh, contractors to, to evolve those proposals to be what, what's before you today. So that's an oversight on my part. I thought that would be sort of confusing to hold both, but you now have that in your packet to see their original bid. Next question, what are the prevailing wage rates that Homeland will be using? Homeland must be in compliance with our prevailing wage policy. It's required in the contract and they are uh, in agreement that they will be in full compliance uh, with all of the laws, relevant regulations and with our prevailing wage rules. Uh, last sort of substantive question, will any subcontractors be used and if so, who? Um, Homeland's original proposal that you now have access to included, uh, if additional capacity was needed, it would be with Harper Electric. Since that time, the work has evolved over the last year and a half. And so the original uh, bid is no longer relevant. They now have staff on the team that are capable of doing the electrical work. And their first stop is to use SIR Energy if they need additional capacity outside of that. And then finally, I just want to reiterate a very important point that I know all of us care deeply about, and that's making sure that all of our work follows state law and state policy. It's staff's complete expectation that every contractor we work with will adhere to state law, including law stating that solar panels must be installed by a licensed electrician. This simply is not optional. We've talked to all of our installers about this. We've included questions in the interview process. We've repeatedly expressed this expectation to our contractors, and we have been and will continue to be explicit. We expect all of our contractors to follow state law, period. This is non-negotiable in our contracts, and we have the right, which I'm confident we will be using, of checking in during construction to ensure that our projects are being done in accordance with state law and those requirements. I just wanted to reiterate that because I think it's a really important point, and I wanted to share the building inspector and I are in full agreement on these points. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Stoltz. Councilmember Iyer? Okay. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Stultz, for that information and for that very emphatic <laughs> uh, reiteration of city policy. Um, you know, when this came forward, uh, I did, and I, I do still have serious reservations uh, about this contract due to, fa due, due to the fact that this contractor has been documented uh, to have uh, had workers who do not hold electrical licenses uh, installing electrical equipment. Um, this is well documented. So, uh, you know, and I just want to state the law requiring electrical equipment, which does include solar panels and their wires, um, the law requiring them to be installed start to finish by licensed electricians exists for good reason. It exists for the safety of workers on the job, the safety of our buildings and the people who use them, the safety of our firefighters who must respond to fires of all causes, including, of course, electrical. We saw the most tragic consequence possible of improper electrical work a few years back at Lincoln High School when a missing ground wire led to the electrocution death of a student. 
It is incumbent on us as a council and a city to ensure that the electrical work on our city buildings is done correctly to protect workers as well as those who will be in and around our buildings for years to come. So I'm encouraged to hear the unequivocal expectation from city staff that this work will be done according to state law. That means no one who isn't a licensed electrician should touch a solar panel. I'm also encouraged by Homeland's reported promises to adhere to this law. But there's a saying among journalists, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Trust but verify. Folks will be watching this work. So I will be voting for this contract tonight, but speaking only for myself, I do view this contract as a last chance for Homeland. So let's make it sure it's done right. Further discussion, Councilmember Griswold. Uh, thank you for answering those questions. I found them very informative, but uh, I'm trying to determine where the questions came from, and I don't see them in e-comments, and I don't believe I received a copy today. Is From a process standpoint, were we given those questions, or did staff come up with them? Those questions came in from council. Yeah. Pardon me? It's, it's my understanding that questions that are delivered at the last, uh, uh, questions, deliv questions delivered after ordinary submission of questions tend to just be delivered between council member and staff and then get reported out in this fashion. I don't know that those are uh, distributed out to the council as a whole. Uh, in the packet. Oh, okay. I wanted to make sure there wasn't an oversight. And so what you're saying then, if, if something comes up after 4.30 on a council meeting day, then we are to just send questions to Mr. Dahoney? I don't know that they, I don't believe the, the time is 4.30. I believe the time is in the morning and that's in the council rules. Oh, okay, after 10 o'clock. Uh, whatever it says in the rules, I don't know. Okay, I, I just didn't know we had this extra option, but this is great news. It's, it's okay. not an extra option, it's the option in the rules. I will, okay, I'm very aware of what happens until 10 a.m. I'm not aware of what happens after 10 a.m. Ah. So that, that's what I was questioning. Mr. Mayor. So thank you. Mr. Dahoney? To clarify for the councilwoman, if we don't receive the questions by 9.30, the only way for us to answer them is to make it an introduction for tonight and make staff available to be responsive if we don't get it by the deadline. Further discussion? Councilmember Amlawi. Thank you. Um, I guess since uh, Dr. Stoltz is here and um, I'm always looking at numbers and trying to get the most out of a buck. Um, looking at this and looking at the kilowatts and the cost, you know, per installation, um, just seems like we're paying more in some areas than we are in others per kilowatt uh, for, for the installation. What, I guess, drove the decisions to choose these locations? Um, versus other areas where we might have spent the same amount of money, but we're able to harvest more, more energy? Yeah, thank you for the excellent question. So we're actually gonna be bringing another contract next council meeting for more solar installations. But what we did is we looked at all the city sites that we have 
and we identified those that had viable solar potential. And that's how we started with this initial list of projects. In terms of what's before you, the cost varies sometimes because of what the structure is. So carports are more expensive to build because you have to put in all that steel versus putting it on the roof. But in some of the sites, carports were the thing that made the most sense to capitalize on the, the maximum amount of production. When you look across this whole suite, though, of projects, it's actually just under $2 per watt, um, which is a really good kind of price point when you factor in some of the other elements that we have. So prices vary based on the size of the roof, the quality of the roof, whether we have to do a carport, whether we're doing ground mount. And so those all kind of uh, factor into the design. But we did try to be very intentional about doing designs that fit the aesthetic and the uses of the different sites. So we didn't jeopardize, for example, structures that we might have in a certain area. Thank you. I guess I uh, got another question since we're here. We have a short agenda. I might as well ask it. Um, now with these chargers, um, I, I know there's been a lot of community talk about how many of them are broken or failed in, in many of the cases, not the ones I think you know, you're responsible for, but in other areas of the town. Um, we're buying these, obviously, then. We're not leasing these chargers. Uh, and uh, I guess, is there, uh, who, who makes sure that those are operational? Yeah, so this is actually, this contract isn't the chargers. We're buying the chargers. You'll see that at the next council meeting because we have a better contract rate through the state to buy the chargers outright. They're doing all of the, the installation work, so the electrical, and we will own those chargers. Okay. So that will be a city asset at our city sites. So, so these $8,000 per charger is just for the installation? Yeah, it's the installation and all the electrical that goes behind the scene to get them ready. And then we'll, we'll be buying the chargers. Okay, thank you. Further discussion? All in favor of CA 25? Opposed? It is approved with nine council members present, all voting in the affirmative, thus satisfying the eight vote requirement. CA 27, resolution to approve amendment two to professional services agreement with management partners, Inc. DBA management partners for interim human services and labor relations director in the amount of $125,000. Moved by Councilmember Ramlawi, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of CA 27. Councilmember Ramlawi. Uh, thank you. Uh, I guess this question is for our city administrator and, and, and staff is, when this was first brought to us, um, it was uh, in response to a, a pretty unfortunate, timely situation, and we needed to fill in the position. This is a continuation from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, of a prior relationship with this outside firm to handle the HR responsibilities and roles. Um, this has been a... Um, an issue, to say the least, for, for, for this organization for many years. Um, we've talked about DEI and, and leading our efforts there. Just uh, again, how this contract works with those, those policies that we set forth and how long this is gonna be farmed out before we have you know, a full-time city employee the qualifications needed to fill this position. This particular extension is to allow us to get over the finish line 
Uh, I interviewed a finalist for the HR director this afternoon. I'm interviewing the second finalist tomorrow afternoon. I have one in the wings if it doesn't work out. So the HR uh, director's position uh, decision should be made within the next three or four days. And uh, not knowing exactly who we were going to pick or what kind of notice they would need to give wherever they're working, I needed a contract to make sure I got somebody here until the person can get on board. With regards to the director of organizational equity, I believe that position closes this Friday and the service area administrator position closes on Monday. I may have those two reversed, but we are nearing the end of all of these searches, hopefully, and then we can fill out the staff. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that um, you know these things are happening in, in such short order from now, so that's good news. Thanks. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? CA 28 is approved. Pardon me, CA 27 is approved. CA 28, resolu resolution to approve a contract with Public Service Consultants, Inc. for community engagement services in the amount of $99,918. Moved by Councilmember Griswold, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion, please, if CA 28, Councilmember Griswold. Yeah, I, I just had a question, uh, mainly so that we can discuss this with the viewing public. Uh, we did not choose a local firm, and I'm sure the, the decision process was legitimate. Uh, I believe some people will be disappointed that we didn't choose a local organization. I was just wondering if staff could comment on that. Mr. Fournier is available for questions on this item. Thank you, uh, Mr. Dahoney. Councilmember Griswold, we chose the um, uh, most qualified firm in the RFP process, uh, and that was uh, regardless of whether the firm was local or not. I will say that public sector consultants is based out of Lansing, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, compared to most of our contractors, is pretty local, uh, and they have a lot of familiarity with doing this type of work in the state of Michigan. So. Uh, we were uh, very impressed with their presentation and recommended them uh, because they were uh, the most highly qualified firm. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that, and uh, I'm not questioning the process. I just thought it would be helpful to at least have a public statement regarding that. So thanks again. Thank mm -hmm. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? CA 28 is approved. We now have before us the regular session meeting minutes of May 16, 2022. May I have a motion please to approve these minutes. Moved by Councilmember Song, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion of the minutes. All in favor? Opposed? The minutes are approved. C1, an ordinance to amend Chapter 55, Unified Development Code, zoning of 1.9 acres from TWP Township District to R1A, Single Family Dwelling District, 3090 Gettys Road. May I have a motion moved by Council Member Griswold, taken by Council Member Song. Discussion, please, of C1. All in favor? Opposed? It's approved, DC1, resolution to recommend approval of issuance of new full-year Class C quota liquor licenses in the city of Ann Arbor. Moved by Councilmember Bromlawi, second by Councilmember Briggs. Discussion, please, of DC1. Councilmember Bromlawi. Uh, thank you. Um, I just was wondering if 
if there was anywhere that we can see what the sustainability pledges or goals uh, that these um, new licensees will be um, given to the community um, for the sustainability goals and efforts. Um, just not, I haven't seen anything, and of course I didn't take an extensive look, and I'm not on the committee that, that awarded these, but um, again, looking to know what, what, what pledges were made or what, what things were done um, in, in uh, recognition for these awards. Ms. Boudreau's here from Lexark's office. Sure. She might speak to that. Um, part of the application process included a sustainability statement. So each of the, um, all of the applicants who applied um, submitted that information as part of the application. Are those uh, public record? Are they, are there anywhere, are we going to be following up? Are there going to be any, any, any kind of metrics or anything that's going to be done to, to ensure that those, whatever they are, are actually carried out? Are they just statements, pledges, or are these actual actionable items and, and, and measures? There's a question with respect to the enforcement of is there a committee member, Council Morgan? Um, thank you. Um, I, I don't think there were plans for enforcement per se, but part of the scoring of sustainability wasn't just based on future plans, but based on um, what these organizations were already putting into practice. So it, um, you know, it can, I can give an example. Um, the the business at, at South Fifth, you know, has a farm in Detroit that they, um, you know, they grow a lot of the produce that they use, you know, in, in their restaurants. So, um, you know, and, and some were not as, as robust in their, in their responses, but it was a significant, sustainability was a significant part of the scoring process. So it, it wasn't an afterthought. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I guess my, my only wishes in hindsight were that these, these were actually going to be awarded to black-owned businesses and people of color. I think those are the folks that um, something like this should have been, should have been thought of. Um, I'm but, sure. Um, I but that, that, that's not my role. So it's just, just some feedback, but this only happens once every 10 years. Councilor Nelson. A resident brought to my attention that one of these locations, the um, the location on West Stadium, is is like a gaming store. It's it's not uh, it's not a place that serves food. Um, maybe I'm confused about that, or maybe he was confused about that. I I just wanted to ask. Is there a staff member to respond to that, Mr. Dahoney? Mayor, I can respond. Ms. Beaudry. Um, Yes, that is correct. One of the we received ten applications, and we um, the committee chose to recommend eight um, for the issuance. We had eight available licenses, and the um, I don't recall the name of the business, but the gaming store on Stadium is a um, like a place where people go to play role-playing type games. Okay, thank you, Councilmember Song. Um. <clears throat> I think so. The the committee members include myself, Council Member Griswold, 
Councilmember Lisa Dish and Councilmember uh, Grand. This was, I think, a really careful consideration. We uh, did review BIPOC business community uh, bus business owners, uh, and I, I was really pleased to see Chela's was awarded one. Um, there was also a business uh, that was considered that was started by um, another BIPOC uh, founder here in town. But I think the the impetus was really to look for uh, licenses that wouldn't or were outside the DDA boundaries was a preference and have a strong statement on sustainability, including one applicant um, stated that they would pay for their own comp composting service. So I mean that's that's pretty admirable. That's a really um, that's a high investment to make. Um, and should folks who were not able to secure a license in this process or st are still in the market for licensees, there there a couple processes still available to them. Um, although this comes up every 10 years, depending on our city's population growth, I think this was a really carefully considered process with a strong leaning again, again on sustainability. I think Councilmember Lisa Dish especially leaned hard on that, and I really appreciate her experience coming from, I'm pretty sure she's on an environmental commission, is she not? Yes, yes. as well as Councilmember Griswold. So having those, having two council members on environmental really spoke to how I think um, the approach was, was fairly considered. Councilmember Grant. Thank you. Um, I just want to take a minute to, to thank staff. I know that um, this process was done so well that um, staff from the clerk's office were recognized by the city administrator for their excellent work um, in, in rethinking this process. It went um, incredibly smoothly with the committee. We got to hear from some local business owners. The two businesses that applied that did not get these licenses are eligible for the licenses within the DDA. So um, while more expensive, certainly not as expensive if one were to have to purchase a license outside of the DDA district, we really were trying to get um, new types of businesses. So the gaming um, business is a good example of that, that it's not your typical business that you might see getting a liquor license. And we wanted to encourage new ideas. We wanted to encourage um, you know, businesses that, that happen in neighborhoods and that can help in, you know, enhance the quality of life throughout the city. So this process um, got to that as well as the, you know, strong points for sustainability. I think it was a, just a really terrific process. Um, you know, we, we had 10 applicants and there was real consensus around the eight that, that were selected. And I'm, and just congratulations to those businesses as well. I'm glad that we were able to you know, help do something um, along the lines of economic development that can hopefully help some of these small local businesses um, get up and running and, and be sustained in our city. Councilmember Hainer. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry for the two who didn't, didn't get it, but I think it was, um, I mean, since I served on this um, board for a bit, the, the notion that there are other opportunities for license to be available, especially like a DDA license, I think was an appropriate thing to consider. Um, and, you know, the truth around the Class C license is that not all small businesses make it. And so these are trans, fully transferable licenses, unlike a DDA district license. And so if, unfortunately, if some of these people don't make it, I think the clerk could weigh in on the notion there's a process but I believe that these licenses can be sold. So 
Um, you know, you don't have to be a food service provider to own one of these. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it was a, a reasonable methods were used. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice that the other folks who did make those investments in the DDA have an op option to, to get a liquor license. So I'm, I'm going to support this. Council Yeah. Um, well, even getting a DDA license is still going to cost you thirty thousand um, dollars. An average Class C liquor license is around eighty thousand dollars. So this was a market value of six hundred six hundred fifty thousand dollars in Class C liquor licenses that were that were approved here tonight. Um, I don't think uh, we got. A good enough deal, to be honest. I think we should have had a tougher negotiations of sorts. I just don't think that we really got the most out of this. Um, I would have liked to see other things done. Uh, at the very least, auction them off and put that money in the OSI's budget. I think would have uh, gotten us more. Uh, the public benefit and public interest. Uh, I will be supporting this, but I just think when you don't collaborate and you don't talk with others, you end up with a product that's, I think, not as good as it possibly could be in the end. But um, I appreciate the work that went involved in this, but I just think we sold ourselves short when it comes to it. Ms. Beaudry? Uh, just to respond to Mr. Uh, Councilmember Hainer's question, the applicant does have to use the license. Um, they can't sell it. And if they don't um, operate for three years or um, get the business up and running and, and utilize the license, it will revert back to the city. So they don't, we're not issuing it to them that they could simply turn around and sell it. And, and that reversion process, then it becomes the city's responsibility to re, you know, open a pool of new applications or? That's correct. It would be, go back into our pool of quota licenses. Okay. And um, the downtown development district licenses that we have can't be issued and if we have any quota licenses available. So the quota licenses have to be issued first or um, we don't have the option in the downtown to continue to issue the downtown development district licenses. So it's not the, it's not the open market game that it used to be for these types of licenses? I mean, it used to be you could just turn around, and, you know, like if you were going out of business, it became an asset of the business and you could sell it, you know, but that's not the case with these. After three years, the applicant could sell it. Okay. It becomes their license. They just can't acquire it simply for the purpose of selling it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Further discussion? Councilmember Griswold. Um, I also want to thank, thank staff. And if there are some perceived shortcomings in the process, uh, then I think council would take responsibility because staff did exactly what we asked them to do. And I'm not even admitting that there were any, but any shortcomings, but if you perceive some, I just want to make sure that it, it was not a shortcoming of staff in any way. Thanks. Further to Councilmember Song. I want to speak to the pricing or, um, Ms. Baudry, can you speak to uh, the pricing and why we put it at the price that we have for these licenses? In terms of the fee for the license? Yes. So the city only charges um, 
what is a best estimate of the actual cost it takes us to process. So we have a set fee for any liquor license, whether that's a downtown development district license or um, a new quota license. And we currently charge $600. The state sets a different um, fee schedule. They have an annual renewal for all licenses, including quota licenses as well as the um, DDA licenses. And then they do charge that $20,000 fee um, for the DDA license, and that was specifically when that law passed to generate downtown business. Um, they don't charge that for the quota license. I believe their, their initial fee is similar to the city's in terms of um, the annual cost of a quota license. And then we also do an annual review for folks who redo their licenses, and that includes reviewing if there have been police incidences or if there are any out. Out, uh, outstanding taxes from that particular business. So there is a process should these businesses either not be able to come to fruition and use their license or should they um, are a nuisance in our community. So there is a review process that comes up annually. Is that correct, Ms. Beaudry? Yes, all on-premise licenses, which is any license um, where the um, alcoholic beverages are consumed on-premise. We do an annual renewal, so each, you know, restaurants, bars, even the um, club licenses at the theaters, they all submit for an annual renewal. Um, and so police, fire, the building inspector, the city attorney, um, the treasurer all review all of the on-premise licenses annually. Thank you. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. We have before us the clerk's report of communications, petitions, and referrals. May I have a motion, please, to approve the clerk's report. Moved by Councilmember Hayner, seconded by Councilmember Grand. Discussion, please, of the clerk's report. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. Do we have communications today from our city attorney? Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> um, I just want to take two minutes of your time. I am energized and I welcome any opportunity to discuss the Gelman litigation with the council. To the extent there was any suggestion of complacency from the city attorney's office, I'd like to counter that. That is absolutely not true. We are residents of the city. Issues that are important to the city are important to us. We advocate diligently on behalf of the city. Um, but we are lawyers, and we must do so within the confines of the law and procedures of the court. But within those confines, we have recently advocated on behalf of the city. We have recently, just last week, filed a motion in Washtenaw County Circuit Code, it's a public document, to enforce Judge Connor's order against Gelman, and to ask Gelman to show cause why it is not implementing the changes that were ordered. So with that, I'd like to say I welcome questions, a closed session, whatever council needs to educate itself on the issue, but rest assured we are advocating diligently. Thank you. Thank you. We now come to public comment general time. Public comment general time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment general time, one need not have signed up in advance. Speakers will have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. We may have only one person speaking at a time. Uh, our clerk, uh, if you are online, will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining, and our 
clerk or our time clock will notify you when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Is there anyone who'd like to speak at public comment? Please. Thank you for addressing me, and I, please excuse, I did not imply or mean to say in any way that the city attorney's office was not doing its job. I'm saying that the city council has an obligation to consider this very significant issue and not just leave it to your competent hands, but you have the obligation to have a higher level of oversight than what we've seen so far. One other thing I have to say, I'll tell you, I'm really... I was driving down Boardwalk the other day, and I see in front of Oxford Properties, dead-end street, where there is already a sidewalk on the other side of the street, a brand new quarter mile of cement sidewalk to your biggest donor. I live on Rosewood, and we're by Harpst, and, and uh, a lot of other side streets there that could really desperately use both sidewalks and repaving. There's a lot of streets in Ann Arbor that could use that. And why is it that your number one donor, Oxford Properties, who owns 20% of TC1, just after you pass TC1, gets this brand new quarter mile of a sidewalk? I, enjoy, I, I ask you, go drive down there. It's not only is it a dead end. I know the justification was that there's a public school, uh, preschool there. Well, that's nonsense because no one walks to that preschool because it's the end of a dead end where the buses are going down to the, to the bus bar. And not only that, the sidewalk right now does not go all the way down there. It turns left and makes a left turn and crosses the street to go to the other sidewalk, which is not used. I'm on that area all the time because I live in the neighborhood. No one, that's not a pedestrian thoroughfare. So, and I asked Mr. Dahoney I, I, another question, which is why is Rosewood Street and the commercial area, I mean, I hate to advocate for my own, my own street, you know, but it, the problem is that who's going to do it because it just is getting out of control. So Rosewood Street and Harpst and these other little side streets just, just get ignored. And Rosewood Street on the commercial district, 800 feet from south industrial to the right to the residential area, is going to be repaved according to the city's uh, schedule, whereas from that spot, forward to, to, pay, to Packard, which is a zero on your scale, that's getting nothing. So I, I, your priorities are not for neighborhoods, they're for your donors. And that's become real clear, and it's very, very disappointing that our neighborhoods suffer, the people who have been in Ann Arbor for however many years, and your brand new friend who's given you all this money for your campaigns, he gets the sidewalk. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Abdul. I'm a student at the university. Um, I'm uh, here to talk about TC1. Just wanted to give my supportive comments to TC1. I think it's great. Ann Arbor has a severe housing shortage, as I'm sure some of you know. Um, and in order to solve that severe housing shortage, we need to build more housing. Um, so the city's planners have helped uh, in a lot of community engagement to figure out what exactly should we make our TC1 zoning district look like? They found a good solution. And upcoming, the next spot they want to do it at is Stadium, which I think is a great spot to put a lot of transit-oriented housing, because there are buses that run on Stadium, and there are plenty of people who would love to live along Stadium, because it's convenient, next to a lot of retail, next to a lot of beautiful Ann Arbor parks, and uh, we should give more people the opportunity to live in Ann Arbor. Um, 
TC1 has everything that a good zoning coach should have. Um, it allows for plenty of housing. It allows for it to be contextual with the housing with the existing area around it. It's it's good in every kind of way. Um, so I want to uh, thank the city council for their work. Thank the planning planning commission for their work, um, and kind of uh, just give more encouragement to more housing. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Edward Vilmetti. Um, I live in the fourth ward. Uh, I, I too would like to comment on Harps Street and Kohler Road and a couple of roads that are not in my neighborhood but in an adjacent neighborhood. Um, the, I uh, was out on my bike uh, this weekend and met with some folks from the uh, Give, Give 365 program at the parks. Um, and they let me know that it was possible to, as a citizen volunteer, uh, audit a park and help them improve the website, make sure that they have some context for it, figure out where the parking is, if you're going to park there, what have you. And so I volunteered for Woodbury Park. Um, my mother-in-law lives, lives right next to the park, and uh, so I'm in that area quite a bit. Um, and um, so I, I sort of know what I'm going to say about this, because I've been, been through it before. There's an access cut between Woodbury Park and Harp Street that has a tree that's this big around in the middle of the path. Um, there's another access cut, which I believe is in the site plan for Woodbury Gardens at the end of Kohler Road, that uh, my neighbor uh, is scarred for life uh, because her, she, she ran into the raggedy um, fence there and, uh, and cut herself on it. So. Um, you know, the, the, the city has a lot of parks. Um, there's uh, a lot going on in some of the parks. There's not much going on in some of the other parks. Um, there's obviously not been too many people who've complained or notified or let the city know what's going on about these uh, obstacles to enjoying this particular park. Um, and so I'm hopeful to get some insight. I mean, it's, it's Woodbury Park is a very lovely park. Um, it's also right next to a stretch of sidewalk. I have no idea who owns this, that particular sidewalk with the tree in the middle of it and overgrown vegetation and impos impassable. So, you know, I, I think this is the sort of thing that could be fixed, frankly, if everyone li lined up to, um, to do a little bit of work, whether it's the adjacent property owner or the uh, apartment residents or the neighbors or what have you. I think this is like a two, uh, one afternoon job to make a dent in something that seems to have been neglected for, for years. As to the fence at the end of Kohler, it's completely unclear to me who's responsible for that particular public health hazard. Um, uh, the city, when, when I did a C-click fix uh, for that, uh, uh, promptly tried to close it. So I don't know really who, who owns that problem, but it's a problem. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Jim Movinson again. So I wanted to follow up on some of the budget things that I was talking about. So as a person who's been following the budget for a long time, Ann Arbor has a budget problem. And it's not because of management or anything else. There's some structural things. And the impediments to making it more functional are removable. 
So what do we do, right? When it comes to public sector funding, people have had to resort to millages, right? In a city like this, there should be a, an ability in a regular budget process to have environmental stuff, to have housing, to have, uh, you know, public services that should, you know, and, and to have social services that should be possible. And we all kind of have a sense of why that's not true. There used to be a time back in 1984 when <clears throat> the university actually paid the city for fire and police services. They actually wrote a check. Imagine that. We can't even begin to imagine that now, right? There are all kinds of reasons for that. But we just need to break out of some of these things. Let's talk about <clears throat> coordinated funding. Fifty years ago, black activists in town started going into white churches. Charles Thomas Jr. and he marched into the churches and he said, "Reparate." He walked up to the pulpits without signing up, and said, "Reparations now." And finally, the interfaith community created the Interfaith Council of Congregations. It was the United Way coordinated funding. Fifty years ago, gave SOS Community for Services its first grant. It no longer exists. Because it wasn't new anymore, it was hard to get people to volunteer for it. You know how that is, right? That's what happens. So when you think about these things where we have these other options independent of the millages, it's the religious community. So I call that the faith fee. Or you have people donating to nonprofits, right? And that's the empathy surcharge. Or you have volunteers who are endlessly uh, <coughs> volunteering uh, to the sinking fund, right? right? These are not things that are gonna work over in the long term. And so we need to rethink how we're thinking about those things. If you look back at that 2009 article from the Chronicle, you'll see two things. One, the difference in journalism nowadays, right? The MLive is predictable, they'll call it, they'll say you're doling out money to the nonprofits. If you said that we're doling out money to the reporters, they might get a little antsy and not think that was very respectful, right? And we need to really think through that. And it's important. As I said at the very last minute there, we're going to lose some really talented people who are working in our current nonprofit sector if we don't find a solution. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Hi, my name is Teacher Barton. I live in Ward 4. Um, I, this is the first year I participated in the Mo, No Mo May, and I'd like to thank the council members who set that up. Um, I would like to, as a suggestion for next year, you provide signs for citizens because every single one of my neighbor has complained about me not mowing my lawn. And so I would just think maybe like a sign or something that lets the community know that individual citizens are participating. This is also another suggestion. I noticed that the city actually mowed all of their lawns through like the, the road divides and stuff like that. And so I think with the city having more grass than any one individual, maybe that would be more beneficial towards all of the benefits that NOMO may has. So that's just a suggestion that I have seen as that. Um, I would also like to thank uh, Councilmember Ramwali, who is the, one of the liaisons for ICPOC for actually speaking with me and helping me get that issue actually brought up by them. I would also like to thank Commissioner Griswold for having an honest conversation with me about what in, is and is not possible when speaking at these meetings. Um, I also do think that she has brought up the cease and desist letters twice on the, on the closed sessions. 
as a citizen, I think that maybe this council should actually discuss that instead of it seems like just passing it on or however you guys decide to do that. It seems like there's not enough votes or actual willingness to discuss that. So I just want to agree that maybe these cease and desist letters and these issues with large corporations and former cities uh, administrators might actually benefit the city if you guys actually address them. So that's it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I wonder just how many coops and how many chickens are needed to achieve results. 20 chickens per acre? 50 chickens per acre? 100 chickens per acre? 1,000 chickens per acre? <laughs> Imagine that. That's my, my addition. My neighborhood probably averages only one chicken per acre. These single chicken acres are seriously hoarding the land. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Nelson said that. I don't know if you could hear me at home. This quote right here. Next one. Same conversation. My husband said, no chickens, Jeff. Again, let, let me start again so I can put this into record in the microphone. I wonder just how many coops and how many chickens are needed to achieve results. 20 chickens per acre, 50 chickens per acre, 100 chickens per acre, 1,000 chickens per acre. My neighborhood probably averages only one chicken per acre. These single chicken acres are seriously hoarding the land. Elizabeth Nelson, candidate for city council, Ward 4. My husband said no chickens. Jeff, your comment is just the support I need. Chicken emoji, 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 Kathy Griswold. Wow, that took two and a half minutes already. I also want to say Ramlawi. What you advocate at the ICPOC meeting? First, you said you want to wait for national standards of policing. Are you paying attention on what's happening in Texas? That's the national standard. That's the national standard. Do we want that in Ann Arbor? No. And lastly, you should really send the inspection reports to tenants because there's some bad shit in there. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to speak at public comment? Ms. Beaudry? Mayor, I do have a caller on the line. Thank you. Caller with the phone number ending in 464. Press. Go ahead. Hello, can, can you hear me? Yes, we can. 
Oh, thank you. This is Linda Brower uh, in Ward 5. Um, I want to respond to the caller or, or the commenter uh, who talked about No Mall May. I just wanted to point out that the city actually did have signs that you could download through the website, and then you'd have to, like, laminate it and put it on a, on a little stick in your yard to let people know. That's what I did, and it worked out really well. And I think, I think the city put out a notice about why the Parks Department didn't get on board. I think... Because this Nomo May was kind of organized a little bit late in the season, I don't think the Parks Department got notified. But my understanding is that their statement said that next year they would try to abide by it in certain parks, obviously not playing fields and stuff like that. Um, so I thought, I thought it was a really great success, and I'm, I'm glad um, we, we can do it again. Then I wanted to comment on, on the whole Chicken Gate thing. Um, you know, I honestly think it was a really dumb joke. Okay, I'm not going to defend the joke. It was silly. It was schoolyard stuff. But I keep seeing on social media these complaints that it was making fun of low-income people, and that's not what it was doing. As we know, 99% of the big mega complexes that are being built are not for low-income people. They're for market rate, relatively wealthy people who can afford very expensive rents. The joke was about density. It wasn't about low-income people. So whatever you believe about density, it doesn't matter. My point is that that joke was not making fun of low-income people, and I'm really getting tired of hearing that because it's just a false accusation. Thank you. Thank you. Adam Goodman, do you have a comment? Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Adam Goodman, also speaking to you from Ward 5. Um, I just wanted to quickly follow up on what Ed Vialmetti was talking about. So uh, on, on the city of Ann, Ar Ann Arbor's website, I found that there's, this, there's a, a feature where you can go and look up old uh, building permits and site plans. It's, it's you know, if, if you are a nerd like me and find yourself interested in such things, it's kind of fascinating to see what, what these records looked like from a few decades ago as our city was getting built out. Um, but on these site plans, you can also see uh, specifically pedestrian pathways that, that were included. And some of these obviously were intended to connect to you know, but through through a private site to to some public street on the other side. So this color pathway was on the site plan for Woodbury Gardens. The Runnymede pathway um, on on the west side, connecting to Pauline, um, was on the site plan for the Walden Village condo complex. Um, in my neighborhood, uh, there's. Um, it was originally Westwood Apartments. I forgot the current name actually, but it, there, there's a pathway that goes basically from be, between the two just joint sides of Fair Street. The point is, all of these things are, are very useful, uh, important transportation infrastructure in our city because often they are closing gaps that would otherwise require people to walk, you know, potentially a mile or miles out of their way to get from from one side to the other. And these things were included in site plans. Now, I, I haven't found the development agreements, but it seems logical to assume that the, 
development agreements also said that these would be available for public use because otherwise why are they being built? So I, I find it pretty concerning that we have just forgotten about these and in many cases let them uh, you know, get crumble into nothing or get blocked by fences or get blocked by uh, brush. And so this is why um, uh, uh, a couple of meetings ago, on one hand, I was, I was happy to see this issue getting some attention. 30 seconds. To the Runnymede pathway. But I was very concerned about that resolution because um, it was absolving something that, you know, uh, these developers decades ago built these things for the public. And one would assume that there was an obligation for ongoing maintenance along with that. Otherwise, you know, what are we even doing here, right? And there are many of these around the entire city. So I, I really want to see a, a systematic solution where we actually go and inventory all of these and Hi. find the Thank appropriate you. way to, to deal with them. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, I don't have any other callers with their hands up at this time. Thank you. Seeing no one, public comment is closed. Are there communications from council? Councilman Breyer. Thank you. Um, I wanted to respond to a couple issues that came up in public comment. The first is um, the, well, they're all in the same area, but the, the issues of sidewalks um, and uh, frankly, traffic calming is another um, issue that's tied into that um, in the area around Harpst and Jewett and, uh, and Rosewood um, as, as one of our attendees here. Uh, brought up. Now this, this issue uh, was something I began to hear about right uh, really as I was campaigning. And so um, last year I brought together, um, I papered the neighborhood with brochures uh, for a community meeting. Um, several residents showed up. We talked about um, taking a, a holistic approach in terms of trying to petition um, for uh, sidewalk gap closures as well as traffic calming throughout the neighborhood. We've seen traffic calming piecemeal throughout that neighborhood and it really just shifts the burden onto other streets when that happens. So uh, uh, those residents and I are working with city staff to try to craft a, a petition uh, for the neighborhood that um, encompasses all of the issues and um, I just wanted to make that known and anyone who's um, interested, I welcome um, you to join us in that effort as we go out and talk to neighbors. The other thing is the Kohler um, uh, road, the, the fence issue uh, to Woodbury Gardens. Um, that is another issue that was brought to my attention a few months ago and um, I've been working with city staff on it. City staff is working with uh, Woodbury Gardens and although I don't have an update at this time, um, please know that city staff are actively working on it. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Hainer. Thanks, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I want to start by saying happy birthday, my son Logan. His birthday's today, and he he shares a he shares a birthday a day, June sixth. That is uh, used to be kind of heralded, and it's kind of slipped from our uh, uh, kind of public conversation lately. Of course, June 6th is what used to be known as, or is still known as D-Day, and so I'm going to dedicate my moment of silence to everybody who served and can, has served and continues to serve our country and in that capacity, and our veterans get a short shrift here when they come home, and that, that's a shame, and uh, hopefully we can do more about that. 
Um, you know, June 6th is well known for the invasions in Normandy and 150,000 some riflemen went there and supposedly saved the world from fascism. So a well-regulated militia has its purposes. Uh, unfortunately, in our violent and gun-happy culture, I mean, try and see a movie without a gun in it, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, gotten, it's gotten well out of hand, of course. Um, so I participated in No More May, and for my trouble, I got a ticket from the city. So we have sort of a snitch culture that's created around community standards. Um, anyone can anonymously complain about anyone for anything, and then a community standards officers is dutifully dispatched year after year, week after week, to have to decide if there's a violation. And we could stand to do something about that, because I imagine the most frustrating thing it is for folks who uh, are are beset upon with one of these tickets is that the standards officer doesn't look up and down the block when they're out there anyway and write tickets to everybody else who's in violation of the exact same thing. And that's a problem we have and I don't know how that's going to get fixed. We also have problems with sidewalk gap priorities. In my ward alone we have a couple streets where they serve um, Avalon housing and other housing areas and they haven't had a sidewalk there and those sidewalks have been bitterly fought by residents who don't want a sidewalk in front of their house. And I don't know what we're going to do about that, but we need we definitely need to review our sidewalk prioritization. I know we've we, we worked the matrix, but it hasn't been enough. So further communication from council, Councilmember Griswold. Um, I want to clarify my statements about lawyers on autopilot and my extreme frustration with the Gelman plume is not in any way directed at our new city attorney and I am thrilled that she brings a very valuable skill set to the city. However, we have struggled for many, many years and MS4 is, is still being discussed and debated. MS4 is the dioxane uh, tainted water that is seeping into the Allen Creek drain. I did bring forward a resolution for our um, county to address that and it, it is being discussed at all levels of government up to the federal level and hopefully something will be done. Um, I also want to mention that I was talking to the Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, he's a fellow U of M grad, and mentioned the resolution for U of M housing, and his response was, take a look at the governor's housing plan. Um, so I would encourage anyone who's interested in getting workforce housing in the near future, uh, Contact me and let's see what the, what the governor is doing and, and what can be done here in Ann Arbor. And lastly, we had a tragedy uh, on the railroad tracks. And I know that in the CIP uh, is a proposal for a underpass of the railroad tracks. And I would like to ask staff if there's any way we can move that forward and possibly use federal or state funds to um, to get that underpass in, it's desperately needed. Thank you, Councilmember Briggs. Thanks. Um, wanted to continue on um, with the theme of sidewalk gaps. Um, appreciate that that issue was raised during um, public comment. Uh, as Councilmember Hayner mentioned, there is a matrix um, which has been um, 
updated by staff and is used as a tool to identify where sidewalk gaps are filled. This isn't something that is um, led by council, um, though certainly um, council policy has influenced um, some of those uh, priorities in terms of thinking about access to parks and schools and um, transit and other important um, other destinations um, based on the, I'm actually not exactly familiar with the place that you're suggesting, but based on the um, the built environment that you suggested, I'm actually questioning whether or not that was actually funded by our sidewalk millage because it sounds like it was um, not single family residential, but um, we can kind of we can look into that. But rest assured that that is not something that, that council influences, um, but certainly we need to, I, identify um, what our priorities are in filling our sidewalk gaps. We know that we have too many in our community, um, and that is something that, um, despite the fact that the community has been very generous in, in recognizing this as a community priority, it's gonna take many years to fill them. Councilmember Member Thank you. Um, I just wanna talk about a, a couple, I guess, successes that I had early on here, and, and, and one is um, getting the sidewalk gap millage on a ballot and approved. Uh, I worked with uh, former city administrator and other former colleagues to get that on the ballot, and now we're raising money on an annual basis, not putting those uh, costs on and burdening uh, homes and homeowners and property owners, and the, the, the amount is uh, now shared equally amongst the community, and that is uh, something I think that is helping some sidewalk gaps uh, be filled right now. Another one is the MRF. The MRF is back up and running. That was about to be um, scrapped and, and not used, and, and unfortunately we we saved it. And uh, there's a, an announcement that came out today, they'll be restickering the carts. Um, uh, we will not be accepting shredded paper or scrap metal in the carts, and plastic's only, I think, one, two, and five. Um, so next uh, in the next few weeks, the city has contracted a company to come out and relabel our, our um, recycling carts so we can do a better job of, uh, of uh, recycling. We have to get our contamination rate down and uh, in order to abide by the contract that we signed with Recycle Ann Arbor. Um, I also just think as a body, I, think, I don't think we're doing as good as I would wish a board to do when it comes to their money. Uh, I've seen hundreds of thousands of dollars this year be misallocated or not getting the kind of return on investment we deserve as a community. I'm disappointed that the over half million dollars in, in budget amendments that I brought forward for COFU funding were not approved, and now we're facing a big shortfall here in this community. Uh, it's a failure of leadership on this board. It's a failure of our priorities and where our priorities are. Thank you, Councilmember. Councilmember Song. So the new, the new Human Services Partnership is actually, uh, the process is ongoing. There's another summer grant, mini grant, mini grant opportunity that's happening this summer. There are high impact grants that are happening this fall, winter. We allocated 1.6 million from ARPA money, uh, 1 million from our general budget. The county, after, after advocates came forward, rightly increased their general budget allocation and also looked at structural funding from the county. We are part of the county. The county received 70 million in ARPA funding. Broadband, rural broadband alone received 14 million. 
if we can encourage our county partners to consider social service agencies as being a countywide effort in collaboration with other municipalities in this county that benefit from social services that even though they might be centered here in Ann Arbor, impact the greater county. Services reach residents from throughout the county. If our services fail here in Ann Arbor, in partnership with the Ann Arbor Housing Commission, then where, where do residents go? They go in the county. And I'm really, really pleased to see the county step up to that challenge. Ann Arbor alone cannot bear this, bear all the responsibilities for our social service agencies. Um, and we have stepped up, we have answered that call, we have made investments. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the leadership at the county level where those dollars are allocated in partnership with us to see if we can encourage other municipalities to step up and contribute their general funds, given that a number of municipalities have increased revenue in this past year in their general budgets. We are not alone. We shouldn't serve folks alone. If we are to think about this as a community, greater community need, then we challenge partners to join us at the table. Councilor Grant. Thank you. Um, I'll just piggyback on that statement by saying, you know, there were commun other community partners that have, that have contributed um, to helping our social services funding and, and they are truly welcome um, back at the table. And so um, we, will, we will not turn that money away. Uh, I also just want to remind the public that if you haven't had a chance to um, provide your input on the Parks and Recreation Open Space Plan or the PROS Plan, it's not too late. You can do so tomorrow until 11.59 p.m. And a lot of decisions that get made about parks funding and spending, um, this is really our um, kind of gold standard in terms of public input. So um, if you are someone who say in the last five years has enjoyed playing pickleball, pickleball at one of our courts, um, that has a lot to do with public input from the pros plan. So if there's something um, that you're not seeing in our parks, I definitely encourage you um, to fill that out or something that you really like and you wanna see us continue to do it. Um, so please provide that input. It's open um, until tomorrow. Thanks so much. Further communication from council. We have a motion to adjourn, please. Move by Councilmember Griswold, seconded by Council Member Wamlawi. Discussion? All in favor? Opposed? We're adjourned. <laughs>